This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Golden Edge Podcast here from T-Mobile Arena, high above T-Mobile Arena. We look down on the ice where the Golden Knights just wrapped up a 6-3 victory over the San Jose Sharks to take a 2-1 series lead. So much to get to tonight. Myself, Adam Hill, Ben Goats, Dave Shane, all along for the ride as we break down everything that happened tonight in a wild game three. Don't forget, we're here with you after every game in the series, so make sure you're checking us out We'll tweet out the podcast, of course, but get the podcast wherever you usually listen. Any of the sites, like, subscribe, comment, share, all of those things. Make sure you tell your friends to listen because we are trying to bring you guys everything you need to know about this series. And I know everybody is fired up to know about what is going on with the Golden Knights. And tonight, that was all about the success of the Knights. A Game 3 win, as we said, 6-3. to three. And guys, first off, uh, just I would say the most great, the, the most impressive all-around performance of the night so far in the series by far. Yeah, I don't think it's really a question because we said after Game Two, the Knights probably hadn't played particularly well in this series leading up to this point. They won Game Two, but even then, they're in the penalty box all the time. There's definitely areas to improve upon, and even I think if they're being honest, there's areas to improve upon tonight. But just their second line, and I will use second line in quotation marks even though people can't see me doing it was just <laughs> I saw it. so impressive tonight that it really didn't matter almost what else was happening in this game it didn't matter that there were at times parts in this game where they just looked asleep at the wheel Paul Stasny Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone just were not going to be beaten tonight so they weren't yeah and a very impressive performance certainly by that line who uh, contributed to every single goal tonight and you know Dave we saw the second line get the start tonight uh, obviously they've been very productive and they're very good players uh, it was their first collective experience uh, in T-Mobile Arena as uh, you know members of the Golden Knights in a playoff atmosphere so good to get them on the ice but I think very interesting that the first line the quote-unquote first line and I'll put quotation marks as Ben did uh, the first line has killed the Sharks historically and I don't know if it's that the Sharks are putting a lot of focus on them and a lot of attention and maybe forgetting about the second line or if the second line is just playing that well. But for whatever reason, now it's the second line that's killing the Sharks. Yeah, kind of pick your poison, which is what we talked about, you know, kind of going into this, that, you know, if the second line is clicking and playing that way, how do you match up? You know, I mean, do you put Couture's line out there? Do You, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, we talk so much about the Sharks and their depth and things like that, but... The one thing I don't know that they can match up depth-wise is, is having a, a second shutdown line, I guess, basically. Um, they, they just haven't been able to, to find an answer, whether it's, you know, Couture's line, whether it's, you know, Hurdle's line. Neither of them seem to, seem to be able to slow them down 
I mean, I'll actually give the the Carlson line a little bit of credit, um, especially after the first game, because I think they've done a good job kind of reversing things and, and shutting down, you know, the Sharks line that they're matched up on. And even though they're not scoring, they're they're finding different ways to, to kind of contribute, which, you know, which you need to do in a series. And, the, and I think that's why the Knights are up 2-1 at this point. Yeah, and we saw the Knights, as you said, they come out, they get the win. Uh, with a great performance. I mean, they scored right away in the game. They scored right away in all three periods. Uh, ben, what would you say was the uh, the most impressive thing the Knights did tonight? I mean, obviously we know the second line was incredibly impressive with everything that they did, but what did the Knights do right that they really weren't doing in the first couple of games? Because even though they split in San Jose, I'm sure they came home thinking they weren't really thrilled with their performances. I think it's what you mentioned there is they just jumped all over the Sharks in not one period, not two periods, but all three periods. That second line, you know, once again in quotation marks, came out and just took it to him. The game starts with Mark Stone scoring in just 16 seconds, which is crazy. I mean, Derek Anglin gives to Nate Schmidt, who throws a really nice pass forward to Mark Stone. Then Mark Stone just goes in and roofs a backhand shot on Martin Jones. Not a great goal for Martin Jones to give up, which has become a theme in this game and definitely a theme of the past two games in this series. But then you come back and it's the second period and you're like, all right, well, they can't do it again. But they did it again. Paul Stasny scores 21 seconds into that period, you know, assist to Pacioretty in Stone, and that line just continues uh, to perform well. And then I, as I mentioned to you guys after the game, I had, like, you know, my jokey tweets ready to go at the start of the third period, like, oh, the second line's on the bench, so they didn't score, like, eh, slackers. But no, Mark Stone scores his second goal of the night. There's... Uh, a nice rebound just waiting for him in the blue paint to knock in with his backhand uh, off a Jonathan Marshall shot. So I think just the fact that they were able to demoralize the Sharks so early at the start of each of these three periods was so huge, especially at the beginning of the game when this crowd at T-Mobile Arena, you know, the first playoff game at home for the Knights, was so into it and so ready to go. And then you score right away. And that just completely fed into everything from that point on. Of This crowd was waving like these towels they were given. They had these giant light-up, I don't know what you would describe them, like yellow things that they were waving Were they around. supposed to be like swords of some sort? I'm not even sure, but they oh, were very... Look at Dave, Dave bringing the actual terminology. They were very excited about having them uh, after Mark Stone opened the scoring there. So I think it was huge not only to establish momentum, not only to, you know, score goals and put the Sharks down on the scoreboard, but that kept the energy level up in this building at the start of each period, which I think made it hard for the Sharks to recover each time. So we've talked about trying to get in Martin Jones' head. They weren't able to do that in the first game because I think that the Sharks did a really good job of limiting opportunities, but the last two games, Knights have got a lot lot of opportunities, and Martin Jones has kind of wilted. I, I think it's an entire team effort as pretty much everyone in the Sharks locker room said, but they still need to get saves out of Martin Jones. But I'll ask you, Dave, this way. I think we'll talk about both things, but more concerning for the Sharks, is it Martin Jones and his continued struggles against the Golden Knights, or is it their complete lack of discipline and just kind of melting down today as they're just a parade to the penalty box like the Knights had the last couple of games? I think they kind of go hand in hand, to be quite honest. I think, you know, the frustration of, you know, I don't want to be too harsh, but not knowing that you have somebody back there you can rely on at this point, it affects players. It's, um, I'll use a sports analogy. It's like standing on the infield and watching a pitcher that can't throw the ball over the plate. 
you know you just kind of get frustrated you you just you know your, your confidence just just wanes and and i think that's where they're at that that they know they can skate with them up front they've obviously got a you know more skill offensively on the blue line and they're just not getting the goaltending the sharks are at, the, at this point and and i think you know for the most part i think they held their discipline the first two games and and i think the frustration you know i thought the thornton hit on no sick was a little bit of frustration um we'll see if that one gets looked at by player safety and then you know obviously evander kane finally said okay let's go with the, you know at the end with with ryan reeves and well did I mean, he obviously reeves, did he though well i mean obviously reeves kind of egged him K- on yeah and, kane was trying to get away as much yeah. as he could now kane held his own more than i thought he would in that fight but I don't think Kane wanted any part of that. No, I, he uh, still took a big L at the end there. Yeah, I, I think uh, honestly, I think if Evander Kane had his drillers, he would never fight Ryan Reeves. I right. think that's part of yeah. part of the rivalry between the two that he can just continue to antagonize without ever um, dropping the gloves. I know Reeves was asked about it the other day, and if he wanted to fight him, and he just kind of kind of laughed and kind of smiled, and I think his answer was something along along the lines of "That'd be nice, wouldn't it?" And he finally, you know, he obviously finding a got his wish tonight yeah well um, and i you know, i will uh you know story that we wrote today when uh, ryan reeves was was asked uh today at morning skate about you know whether evander kane is a tough guy only when reeves is off the ice and in the on the bench and reeves said yeah it's almost like he's 10 feet tall uh when i'm not out there and then when i am he's nowhere to be found which has kind of been the case but he had no choice at the end reeves found reeves, i think once reeves saw that they were on the ice together he was like, "All right, this is gonna happen. One way or the other, it's gonna happen." Yeah, and you know, give Evander King credit for you know answering the bell and and like you said, I mean, he definitely held his own. That I was talking, you know, to Ben when we were kind of standing in the line waiting to get into the uh, into the locker room, and I was you know watching a quick little video of it. There was a there was a right hand that came through that kind of skimmed Reeves the top of the head. I that thought it staggered him. It, it there was one that staggered, but there was another one that just barely skimmed like top of his head and grazed him that if it landed woo boy you know i mean it was they were those they were throwing haymakers those were you know i mean those were like ufc punches last night what's t-mobile arena the home of home of ufc so it made a little bit of of sense out there uh ben i I asked dave the question of what's more concerning for the sharks what would you would you think it would be the jones struggles or the lack of discipline tonight well and I'll, i'll i'll add uh, for those that follow the Knights closely, our old friend Shang Peng uh, asked Pete DeBoer about his team's handling of their emotions tonight, and Pete DeBoer's response was to leave the press conference and say that's enough for tonight. So I don't think he handled his emotions well. The team didn't either, uh, but what's the bigger concern? I definitely think there's an element of the Sharks needing to control their emotions board, needing to stay out of the box more. But I think, as we said before the series started, a lot of what happens in these games boils down to Martin Jones and whether he's going to basically live up to, as Dave said, kind of the talent level of his teammates. Because this Sharks team, skater-wise, seems pretty ready to go. Yes, they're struggling to match up with the Knights, uh, you know, I guess 1B line if we're going to elevate them a little bit and stop using quotation marks on the second line <laughs> but overall like you look at their depth and even then you see like you know logan couture and joe pavelski are just really talented players and they've got guys kind of throughout their lineup who can provide scoring but then you look back and i was re-watching some of the goals and it's just like dude what are you doing you know i mentioned that first goal that mark stone had where he just roofed it backhand is a save that i think a goaltender should make especially that early in a game then Mark Stone's third goal, where he basically just does a really kind of 
easy deke move to get Jones to commit to Jones's left and then Stone skates the other way and just taps it in with his backhand. It's a very easy looking goal for Stone. A guy who we discussed in this podcast is not like the most fleet of foot guy. <laughs> I mean, Mark Stone is not a guy who should be breaking you down forehand, backhand, but that's what he was doing at the end of this game. Martin Jones was just like a pretzel for a guy who's not known for his moves. And so I think that's just a sign right there that he's shaken in that. He doesn't have his confidence. He's not just moving confidently back there. I'll throw in a stat here that if you guys, if folks were on Twitter tonight, probably saw uh, Eric Carlson has been on the ice for nine of the 11 Golden Knights goals. Well, that was, in this series. They scored after that, right? So, I mean, was he on later? Because if th- are they at 13 now? Is it at 13? I th- yeah, they I scored twice after uh, okay. it we was, were looking at that I stat. I know it was 9 of 11 at one point. Yeah, so, I didn't, so I didn't check if he was on those last two goals. I had to update some stats <laughs> late, too, because I had some done, and then uh, they scored the late goals. But, uh, yeah, he, he has not been good. And and I guess uh, to follow up on that, since, you know, we're, we're going to discuss that – how have you assessed Carlson? Because he's certainly a, a talented offensive player, and uh, we've seen some of the impact he can have, especially game one. He was really good offensively, but defensively he's definitely had some lapses. I think certainly missing time, uh, the amount of time, you know, the last basically two months he didn't play, uh, that has affected him. But uh, the Golden Knights have, you know, taken advantage of him being out there. Yeah, a little bit, but I'll also say this. I mean, that's kind of who Eric Carlson is. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about, you know uh, – I don't know, Victor Hedman or somebody that's, you know, known for defensive prowess and things like that. Eric Carlson is an offensive defenseman. He's winning, you know, or won Norris trophies because he scores, you know, 70-something points in a season, not because he's, you know, shutting guys down. So in in that regard, I think the Golden Knights are doing a good job kind of exploiting that. More than anything, what I think they're doing a really good job of is pounding him at every single opportunity. They are taking the body on Eric Carlson, and it's physically taking a toll on him. You can see it. I mean, they went after him in the first game, and it wasn't quite as effective in that first game. But, you know, it's like anything else. You're playing a series, and you keep doing it over and over, and it it, it wears on you. And Eric Carlson is not the biggest guy. He's not the most physical guy, you know. And and even somebody like like Nosek coming in hitting him, um, it doesn't have to be Reeves. It doesn't have to be Carrier. And they're they're taking the body on him. They're they're getting him off of his game, uh, which I think has been key. Everybody kind of talked about, you know, Brent Burns and, and, you know, his, I guess, supposed defensive deficiencies and things like that. But, you know, at least so far it's been Carlson that's kind of been, uh, you know, picked on, I guess, if you, you know, like a DB and a quarterback, so to speak. Yeah, yeah you have to wonder if he's 100%. I mean, he obviously missed a bunch of games coming into this series. He was there for the Sharks' regular season finale. And since then, it's been kind of surprising. They have played him a boatload of minutes. They have not you know, eased him back into action. He is playing about 25 minutes a night, which is a lot for any player, let alone a guy who's been dealing with nagging groin issues basically all year. And you can see that he's trying to put in a good effort. He's out there looking for his offense. You could tell he was trying to pick some corners tonight. And there was a couple times where Flurry had to fend off some very tough shots from him. But especially the defense just has not been there, and I don't think he's skating as well as he possibly can. And so it'll be interesting to see how he kind of gets used in these last couple games, whether they maybe back off of him or whether they're just going to ride with him. I mean, the other hard part is uh, obviously we didn't see Mark Edward Velasic for them tonight. They're down. I mean, they were playing basically five defensemen in game one. 
as it was. Joachim Ryan played like three minutes that game. So now you take Vlasic out of it. Now you've got, you know, Carlson who maybe is iffy as far as is he 100%, certainly not playing well in his own zone. And, you know, we talk about Jones and discipline. I mean, they're, to be quite honest, if I'm in that Sharks locker room, I mean, there's a whole myriad of, you know, issues right now that, that I would be worried about. So the the fascinating thing, we talk about all these things, and I, I feel like coming out of this game, there was almost a sense in your mind that the Knights had completely taken control of the series. Like, they, they won game two. They got they got the split on the road they wanted. They come home. They get the win. And we know the numbers on game threes uh, when a series is tied at 1-1 and the winner of game three, uh, a massive edge uh, in a series. I think it's almost 70%. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a, a huge game, certainly a big win. But the Sharks are right in the same position that the Knights were after game one, really. I mean, you go into this wanting a split on the road – uh, to get back home ice advantage, and they haven't lost that yet. They haven't lost the opportunity to do that. They still could get the split uh, on Tuesday night and go right back home with a chance uh, to just win two of the three, and you got two home games uh, to win the series. It just it didn't feel like the Sharks are really still in the series that much. Uh, but I guess what can the Sharks do uh, to bounce back, to recover, and to kind of stem the tide a little bit? And again, if they win Tuesday, they're right back in control of the series where they want to be. Right, I think it's kind of what we talked about, or at least the reverse, where if they control their emotions, if they don't go in the box as much as Game 3, if Martin Jones plays like he did in Game 1, which is not spectacular, but solid, I mean, this is a talented, talented Sharks team. They have the guys to go out and just win a game against the Knights, one hockey game. It would not be surprising at all if they came back and won Game 4 to me, and I don't think it'd be surprising to the players in the Knights locker room either. I mean, Max Pacioretty said it after the game. Hey, our mentality was to flip the script and move on to the next game right away after game one. We did that. We've had great efforts in back-to-back games. Now that we're riding high, we have to take that same mentality into game four where we flip the script, move the page, don't think about game three because if we get too high on ourselves, it's just as dangerous as if we get too low on ourselves. I mean, I think back a little bit to the series last year between these teams and help me out a little bit here so if i remember right knights had home ice split the first two and the second was an overtime game i believe the sharks won the knights won game three up there and then lost game four so i mean it's basically almost a mirror image so far of of this series just everything kind of reversed you know in terms of the home ice and whatever so as i mean we saw it last year uh we've seen how good the sharks can be we've seen professional hockey players and their ability to just kind of you know erase what happens you know 10 12 you know 24 hours whatever it might be so i'm sure they're just gonna you know burn the tape you know and 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 all those things and go into game four and you know try to replicate some of the things they were able to do in game one keep the knights to the outside you know limit the shots uh get martin jones maybe some confidence early on i think that was the one thing that i noticed in game one he just seemed to kind of ease into that game you know, and get some confidence early, whereas in game two, game three, obviously the Knights were able to jump on him, get in his head a little bit and things like that. But, I mean, I'll be really honest. Obviously, when we talked on this podcast, you know, last week and you asked for a prediction, and I said Knights and five, and I don't know how good I felt about that after game one, and I don't know about if they can win four straight. I'm not going to totally stick to that, but I, I agree with you, Adam. I definitely kind of walked away from this game tonight feeling like the Knights are – you know, really in control of this series. If they make it 3-1, I feel like they can kind of, 
kind of take their heart a little bit, I guess. The biggest thing I think to watch moving forward is, yeah, we mentioned it briefly, but Joe Thornton's hit on uh, Tomas Nosek there in this game. Jargalant said after the game he expects the Department of Player Safety to look at it. It'll be interesting to see if any punishment is leveled against Joe Thornton. That's obviously a big piece for them. He's a very you know talented player to be on a third line for them. So if he's out, that's a blow to the Sharks. Then obviously not having Joe Thornton for potentially a game four, potentially not having uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. Those are tough pieces to be out when your season's kind of hanging in the balance. I'll throw one thing um, just on Thornton. That might actually, this might actually be his last game. I mean, if he retires and he's suspended, and if he gets more than one game and he doesn't come back in this series, I mean, think you know there's the i mean it'd be like zinedine zidane you know going out with the headbutt or what whatever in the world cup to to go out on a game like this but i mean hey let's be honest i mean it, it very well might be the last game for joe thornton do you ex- you do expect a suspension of some sort i mean it was a pretty vicious hit i mean i never know with that stuff i've yeah. seen a lot of hits like that this year that you know i mean the, the weird thing with that was that was a two-minute penalty for contact of the head which i don't quite understand how if it's something that's suspendable or you know if he does end up getting suspended why like why would you only give him two minutes you know during the game like wouldn't that be a major wouldn't that be something that well, you would I, I mean it's jump t- on like right away tougher in real speed right yeah but that was i mean that was like a drive-by side swipe <laughs> you know i mean i think anybody that was kind of looking in that direction would have seen you know no six head kind of sm- you know snap back and kind of swivel and, and all those sorts of things I, I mean it looked pretty clear it also did seem and i don't know how much they'll take into consideration it did seem to me like they were targeting nosik uh they seem to be mad about something that happened oh, in san jose it was a it was a hit on on, on carlson okay yeah because um, oh, we saw Brent burns came burns after that too. superman punch at him yeah yeah, yeah. So it's funny because it came right after uh, Nosek blocked a burn shot on the power play, so it looked like Burns just go like, "You're gonna block my shot, let's go." <laughs> yeah, I think I think they were definitely targeting Nosek, and uh, you saw Thornton go. So that'll be something certainly to watch uh, in the next day. We'll see if uh, there's any fallout from that Thornton hit on Nosek. Uh, of course, uh, the Knight side said that they expected it at least to be looked at. The Shark side, the quote from Pete DeBoer was, "Didn't watch it. Don't know. Haven't seen it yet." Uh, so don't know if that was honest or if he just didn't want to talk about it, uh, but they said they hadn't seen it yet, so we'll, we'll follow up on that. Uh, I think one of the last things is I can't foresee this, but does either of you think there's any chance the Sharks start to think about their starting goaltender? No, not now. I would be pretty surprised if they don't turn to Martin Jones for game four just because once you make that move, I think it's awfully hard to reverse that the rest of you know your potential playoff run i think if you go to aaron dell that's that's the one move you can make you can't go back to martin jones in good faith i think and expect him to have any sort of confidence so i would be pretty surprised yeah i mean i think you make a desperation move like that and it kind of filters through the locker room and everybody everybody kind of feels it and you you kind of think well you know if the coach is is feeling you know this much you know tension or, or whatever the right word is and then they start to feel it and desperation I, I, desperation yeah that's 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 a good word i i mean honestly i think the the, sh- 
the biggest problem for the Sharks right now is what happens when Nikita Gusev gets in the Golden Knights lineup because it's just <laughs> done when that Stop happens. Stop it, Dave. What are you doing? We're, we're <laughs> wrapping this up. You're trying to throw new wrenches into the mix here, new wrinkles well, You know, we got podcast. a lot to talk about, so, you know, oh, I'll just throw it all out. A quick uh, throw, yeah, Nikita Gusev, Russian forward, 26 years old, KHL MVP last season, a very good season this year. Uh, signed with the Knights officially today as we're recording this on Sunday. He arrived today. Uh, he actually met with some of his teammates today. He will practice with the team tomorrow. Uh, George McPhee admitted, hey, my first thought when we signed him was not to get him ready for the playoffs. It was just to start the clock on his entry-level deal so we can agree to an extension in the summer. Gerard Gallant basically said, "Like, I'm not making any promises as to whether he'll play. We just want to get him in. Give him a couple of practices and see what's happened. So I don't, I don't think they're too eager to rush him into the lineup right now. But I think it's definitely something they'll consider moving forward if there is a good opportunity to do it. But it definitely doesn't sound like it's a priority, especially with how they're playing right now. I mean, as we've talked about, them looking pretty solid these last two games. I mean, Jargalon has always been, at least to me, kind of a superstitious coach. Uh, I'm not going to switch up my lineup if we're winning kind of guy. So if the Knights keep playing like this, I don't foresee him making that change just to make a change. The goose is loose. Come on. Oh, stop it. I can't foresee him. That was, that was good. I don't want to step on your line. Uh, I don't foresee it happening unless there's a couple of injuries and they, they're forced to make a decision, or if they end the series early and they're waiting on an opponent, either Calgary or Colorado, and they have a bunch of practices, you know, three or four, to try to get ready, and then they see, like, wow, this guy's talent is tough to keep off the ice. Maybe we go with it. I, those are the only two scenarios I could see them really making a, a decision to go with him. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes to that what's that saying about you dance with the girl you i i always you dance with the girl that brought you yeah there you go that's the one uh thanks ronald reagan for (laughs) butchering my brain with that one um but i think you know i'm not i hesitate to use this name but i mean if he's close to artemi panarin i mean you can't keep him out of your lineup I don't have the slightest idea how good he is. I don't know if he's anything close to Panarin. I am very excited to see him at practice tomorrow. But you know, I saw that I mean, shootout goal. That was yeah. impressive. I mean, that's the thing. Just from the highlights and some of the, the clips and things that you've seen of the guy, I mean, it's crazy what he can do with a puck. Yeah. So, you know, who knows? I mean, we, we, we saw him walking, you know, through the arena. And obviously he's a tiny guy, you know, physical North American hockey and playoffs and all those things that, you know, folks kind of stereotype the nhl with i mean it's going to be an adjustment but i mean if he's that good i i you know i don't know i shudder to think what a third line would be well, with him on it we, we can get into uh much more nikita gusev as the playoffs wear on i, I will say i'll Goose. throw this out i'll throw this out people do love just having guys that they can chant like a one syllable like they love soup and reeves oh, yeah. rolls off the tongue yeah goose this is gonna be a good one oh, yeah. uh I, one of the players, uh, I'll, I'll leave their name out of it, actually asked me about him today, which I, I found interesting. And I, I didn't I didn't really buy it. Like, I feel like they're following along with the news and, like, Twitter and those sort of things. But maybe they're just not. Maybe I'm just totally wrong about that. Because one of the players, what do you know about him? What, do you, what, what can he do? What are his skills? I was like, are you serious? I always I always kind of am marveled at when, when – every once in a while we'll ask a question and they'll just be like, I don't know. 
I'm focused yeah. on, you know, like they, they don't always follow the rest of the league and things closely because they're worried about the next game and, you know, they right. watch that team and whatever. But yeah, sometimes it's hard for these guys to, you know, keep tabs on, on guys in Russia or whatever. Especially this time of year. I think a bunch of players said today, like, hey, it's the playoffs. Like, I'm not really focused on, you know, what this guy is going to bring to our group right now. When he gets here, great. When he's on the ice, awesome. But we have a game with the Sharks tonight. So that's where, uh, our focus and priority is uh before we quick wrap it up i also do want to give one last shout out to uh max patcheretti's son who uh had a very big impact on the game today uh for the first time in his young life uh, one of patcheretti's four sons came to him this morning and said dad i want you to score a goal for me today and gosh how, darn it patcheretti how, scored a goal how adorable it was pretty great <laughs> that is uh patcheretti really did nice. say his son can't ask for that every game now we can't abuse these <laughs> newfound powers that he seems to have discovered but that was a cool little anecdote uh from patcheretti after the game saying hey my sons are all up at 6 30 they want to go to the game right away they're so excited to uh, experience a playoff game here in uh las vegas and Got to score a goal. For was them, that the so same cool. son that had the sheets, but that didn't have the Golden Knights logo on it because it was too old? I did not specify because I thought that'd be creepy if I was like, "So Max, out of your four young boys, please tell me exactly which one was the most adorable." Before we head out, I would just like to say to the folks who do the scoreboard at Oh Arena, no! Don't call them out, there. Can we? Can we please get Flurry's last name spelled right? Come on, I got. It. I mean, they they. Tr- they transposed the yes. E and the U yes. in Flurry. It was spelled wrong at the beginning of the game. Yes. So make sure you fix that for the next game. And was I feel like there was a glitch. Yes. That, the, that ending of that, that pregame, I think I used the word extravaganza with the night. That, that, there was something didn't go off right well, there. There's so. also major plot holes that I, I, I just I don't think we have enough time to get into. Yeah. Hopefully for game four, uh, that'll be corrected. And... Uh, We'll see if the Sharks can correct a lot of what went wrong with them. See that segue there to the close? Impressive, impressive stuff by me. Uh, We'll find out. Game four, Tuesday night. Make sure you check out ReviewJournal.com. We'll have everything you need to know from practice, including the first practice of Goose, Nikita Gusev, tomorrow at City National. Uh, For Ben Goats, Dave Shane, make sure you follow us on Twitter. And remember to like, subscribe, comment, share all of those things with podcasts wherever you find us. And share with your friends. Let them know we're getting you live with everything you need to know. Not live, but you're getting you up to date on everything you need to know about the Golden Knights in these playoffs. Each and every game, the post-game podcast with the Golden Edge. Adam Hill, Ben Goats, Dave Shane. We'll talk to you guys later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.